Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. Don't lose hope. There's always hope. As long as you have hope, you can overcome anything. I forgot that for a very long time. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. These guys are hilarious and informative, and they're brought together by their common struggle. Mike and Nat get to know each other's addiction story on air and realize they have more in common than they thought. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast with guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people who've overcome a variety of obstacles, including addiction, trauma, and mental health issues. And they've used these adversities as their greatest advantages to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Our guest, Tim Lodgen, a real inspiration, truly turned his life around, as all of our guests do. But uh, we get in some interesting stuff. He was running mates with Brandon Novak in his early days interestingly enough as well brandon helping him get into treatment and get his sobriety under control yeah he's definitely got a hell of a story this is a this is a treat for you guys we thank you guys for listening to knocking doors down of course on uh, spotify apple podcast app google podcast of course at kddpodcast.com because you might be like mikey and visual and if people go to the website they can check it out on on youtube Check it out. I'm a visual guy. Plus, if you are a fan of the podcast, do us a favor. Share one of those videos. You can get the link there. Or if you're uh, listening here, it's easy to share the podcast with a friend and it helps us grow. And we definitely appreciate that. And uh, we also appreciate 5150 LTM swagging us out. We couldn't do any of our podcasts without the amazing support. And you, for listening to the podcast, you can get 20% off of all of the gear at 5150's web store. Isn't there a promo code or something? There is. KDD20. What is it? KDD20. Use the numerics. KDD20. And get 20% off at checkout when you go to 5150LTM.com, which the link is in the podcast description. Sick. Yeah, you. well, you guys have the worst traffic in America, don't you, pretty much? Oh, yeah. In and out lines are way too damn long. So <laughs> people who are like, oh, man, I hate California. It's like, sick. Get out. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we'll move somewhere else then. These freeways are way too crowded and in and out takes way too long. So does Starbucks. So uh, I'm what, not tripping. What is the burger joint out there? Is it uh, is it I know what a burger is like the Midwest. What's uh, up where you're at? Uh we have Geno's. Okay. Um uh five guys, five, yeah, five guys and fries. Okay. That's a real big one around here. Um, but there's no like like way back, but we have way back burger. That's a really good place too. All right. Have you ever had in and out? No, but I've heard about it everywhere. Oh, <laughs> it's like the East coast. What, what's the East coast? Uh, White, White castle. castle. White castle. White castle. They're There's all like closed a- down around here now. I've never really? had White castle. Yeah. Yeah. The owner, um, the owner passed away a couple of years ago and I guess he sold them. So oh. there's no more White castles around here at all. No, oh, that way. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never know. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> are we'll we are know. we planning to go to maryland i i mean yeah we can go to the east coast all right well i've never been to maryland i'm down, Shit, uh, come on down man. we'll hang out with novak oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, man. We'll go down here. We're going to hang out with him, go to recovery house, have a meeting. Uh, you know, he and I talked about that. We were going to do some kind of episode in one of his recovery houses or in the recovery house. And uh, it's still in the works. You know, we just haven't, you know, it's been busy. We've been yeah, right, literally right. our second home is Los Angeles. So we're going again next week. And then yeah. it's just yeah, crazy busy. But it's house, uh, yeah. about next week. Mm. Right on. I actually drove out there last night and took a table to the guys. He, uh, Cause I live in Maryland and his mom found it on, I don't know, through a church or something. So he called me. He's like, Hey man, he said, can you help me out? And I was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, can you bring me a table? I was like, where? He's like, Delaware. I was like, okay. It's about an hour and <laughs> from my house. But man, after what he did for me, man, out, driving an hour and 20 minutes for a good cause to, to be able to give him a table where a bunch of people are going to sit around and talk sobriety and, and live recovery, man, it, it was, it was a no brain. I had to do it for him. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So what are you, uh, for people that didn't pick up, but talk about Brandon Novak, what is it that uh, Brandon did for you in re- what well, are you referencing? So um, I actually grew up with him. I've known him since elementary school. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. We were on the same skateboard team here in Maryland. Um, and uh, we used to skate all the time, me, him and Bucky and, um, a guy named Matt Martin, which is like, a, he was a really big Ma- uh, Maryland guy here. And, uh, you know, at, on and off through my alcohol and, and drug addiction, um, we've always kept in contact. I mean, in high school, I'd have huge parties and he'd come to my house and we'd all just get smashed. Mm. And um, that's what's it? He's got six years this year. So four years ago when he had two years clean, he was in Maryland. He said, Hey man, what you doing? I said, uh, man, I'm, I'm drinking a lot. I'm not doing good. He's like, meet me at this meeting down the street. So I went and met him at a meeting and then we went out to lunch and the whole time he tried to talk to me about recovery and getting into a, a, a rehab. And I was just wasn't having it at the time, man. I was like, I wasn't ready. I, I didn't want to get up and go. And, and to me, I really wasn't at that time willing to go to a rehab. I, I just, I was like, man, I got it. I'm only drinking six to 10 beers a day. I'm going to work. You know, everything's good to go. And then uh, so he came to my house and uh, he's sitting there talking to me. He's, man, I got the phone right here. He said, I'll call Banyan right now and I'll get you into a treatment center. And I'm sitting there drinking a beer and I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, I don't I don't need this right now. He's like, Tim, it's only going to get worse, man. So uh, in March of last year, actually, sorry, the end of February, um, it has gotten really bad, man. Um, I've been drinking since you know, high school, since uh, my senior year in high school. Um, I didn't really do much drugs in high school. I smoked pot, but um, my big thing was was drinking on the weekends, man. And um, from high school, I went right into the Marine Corps. And that's all we fucking did was drink, drink. I mean, we, we, we went training, we got off, we had Friday to Sunday, and we smashed beers like it was our second job. And um, so I've been drinking since 95, 94, sorry. So um, in February of this past year, I had just gotten a new truck. Um, I was leaving the house. I backed into my fucking neighbor's car and uh, I took off. I didn't say nothing. I don't think they still know about it, actually, but they might now. Um, and I went out and I went to the liquor store and uh, I got some fireball miniatures. And I was leaving the liquor store and I hit something. And I honestly still do not know what I hit. And I came home and I parked the truck. I was like, I'm going to bed. And she's like, okay. So the next morning I woke up and I said, I'm going to get some milk and something to drink. And she goes, how are you going to do that? And I was like, in my truck. 
She's like, the one you just bought? I was like, yeah. She goes, go look at it. So I went out to the driveway, and the whole right side of my truck's all smashed up. Tires flat. Side mirrors hanging off. And she looks out the window. She goes, you have no idea what you hit, do you? And I said, I, I really don't. And she said, Tim, something's got ch- to stop now. She said, you're going to kill yourself or somebody else. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Had a guy come out and fix my tire. And funny, my hand truck was still smashed up. But as long as I could drive, I was good. So she's like, look, you can't stay here. She's like, you got to figure this out. So um, I called my buddy, and, and he's like, man, you can come over here and hang out for a little bit. You can spend the night a couple nights. So I went over to his house, and that day, he's like, hey, man, you want to go to the bar and go get some wings and some beers and stuff? I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So we go, and, and some beers turn into shots, and then uh, he's like, let's go to my buddy's house. We'll hang over there and, and, and go party some more. I'm like, okay, cool. So on the way to his buddy's house, I come to a red light, and it, it turns green, and, and I hit the gas, man, because I was, I was drinking, and, and uh, I got a pretty sweet truck, man. I got like 450 horsepower. I got a turbo in it. And like, I hit the gas, man. I took off. And I rear-ended the guy in front of me. Oh, shit. And I get out, and I'm, I'm drunk at this point. And uh, I get out, and I look at the guy. I'm like, you okay, man? He goes, yeah, I'm good. And I look at his car, and honestly, I don't remember it having any damage. But the front of my truck was all messed up. And I was like, you're good? He goes, yeah. I said, your car's good? He goes, yeah. I said, I'm out. See ya. I jumped back in my truck, and I took off. And uh, ended up staying at my buddy's house for another day or two. Well, I come home and take a shower and start eating and my wife come home from work and she's like, you can't be here. She's like, this is too much. She's like, did you see the front of your truck? I was like, yeah. And I lied to her. I said, I don't know what I hit because you hit two things in two days. I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. She goes, you got to go. So at this point, I called my mom and, uh, you know, things are bad when you call your mom and she says, you can't come there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she's like, Tim, I'm sorry. She's like, I just, I, I don't want you here right now the way you are. You have to figure it out. So I go and I sleep in my truck for two days at a park and ride. And this is the end of February in Maryland. It's cold. It was about 30, 40 degrees. And uh, I had turned my phone off for two days. And I just sat in my truck drinking whiskey. And uh, I turned my phone on at 7 after 10 in the morning on a Friday morning. And at nine after 10, the phone rings. This is two minutes after turning my phone on after 48 hours. And it was Brandon. He's like, lodging. What the fuck are you doing? I was like, I'm sitting in my truck. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm drunk. He said, good, motherfucker. That's what you need. He's like, I just talked to your wife and your mother. We have a plane ticket set for you at eight o'clock this evening. You're going to go down to West Palm Beach, Florida, Banyan Treatment Center, and you're going to go get help. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm done. He's like, call me when you get to the airport and call me when you get past security. I said, okay, man. So my mom drove me to the airport. I get through security and I sit down and I'm, I'm, I'm in the seats and I'm waiting and I call him. I'm like, hey, man, I'm past security to check my bags in. I'm waiting for the plane. I got about 45 minutes. He said, okay. He said, Tim, this is the best decision you have made in the last 27 years. And I promise you, you'll get back everything 10 times forward that you've lost. He said, I love you, man. Good luck. And I hung up the phone. And what happened next was the, was the most amazing feeling I've ever gotten in my life, man. Because before all of this, man, you know, I was suicidal. Um, I, I had bipolar. So instead of taking my medicines throughout the year, I drank and drugged. And I, I was sitting there and I hung up the phone with Brandon. And this calm feeling came over my body. 
and something said, everything's going to be all right. Hmm. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if, you know, a higher power was speaking to me. All I know is I've never had that feeling before in my life. All the hopelessness and despair and, and, and depression was lifted. It was like, damn, man, like, this is where I need to be in my life at this time to make the change that I need to, to, to save my life. Um, you know, and, and I used to believe in coincidences like, oh, yeah, that just happened for a reason. But the fact that my phone was off for two days, he called me two minutes after I turned it on and I get to rehab and the doctors take my levels, my, my blood enzymes, my liver enzyme, my kidneys. And the guy looks at me and goes, you're 45 years old. He's like, your kidney and liver enzymes are four times what they should be. Oh, He's oh. like, if you have continued to drink like this for the next two to three years, he said, you would not make 50. He said, much less 48 years old. Luckily, I had caught it in time to where I was able to reverse the damages. That put me on medicines to help with my enzymes and stuff. But um, when I left there, I did a 32-day treatment. When I left there, all my levels were normal. My blood pressure had come down. My blood pressure was 157 over like 130. Jeez. He said, you are literally on the verge of having a stroke or a heart attack. Everything went back to normal. My liver, my my, my kidneys, my, my blood pressure. Um, I was 215 pounds when I went there. I got down to 192 when I walked out that door. Back healthy again. Um yeah, it just, for him lending his hand out to me, he knew how desperate I was. Yeah. Now, before my wife kicked me out, she had found me in the basement with a rope around my neck standing on a bucket. And she came down and came around the corner and I was in the laundry room and she said, what in the hell are you doing? And I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I can't. I just want the pain to go away. And she looked me in my eyes and said, Tim, Please get down. Do you know what this will do to your children and everybody that loves you? Please get down. We'll figure this out. Got down and I sat there and I cried for about 10 minutes in a ball, just, just looking up to the air and being like, please help me. I need help. I can't do this alone. Please, like, help me. And uh, I got that phone call from Brandon. You know, there's no coincidences, man. All that stuff happened for a reason. Yeah. I'm truly grateful for, for people that love and care about me. You know, my wife, I put that woman through so much stuff, lying, cheating, stealing. Um, and, and one day I asked her, I said, why do you stick around? And she said, Tim, I love you. She said, and I know this isn't you. She said, I know there's a better person inside of you. And I know you can, you can be that person again, but you need to get help and you can't do this by yourself. So, you know, you know, I was an athlete my whole life, man. And, um, you know, I was in the Marines and my ego was huge. And, and I was broken down to nothing. I didn't want to leave the house. My depression had taken over. I wasn't taking my bipolar medicine. So I was either way up or extremely low or some days I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to. I didn't take a shower for a month. You know, I didn't care. And I was always somebody that was always well put together and, and look at me kind of a guy. And I didn't care about anything. And, and that hopeless feeling that I hope that I that I that took over my body 
was the worst feeling that I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah, I don't think uh, many people I don't, understand that desperation. Man, it, it's it's debilitating. It truly is. You know, and, and I have three beautiful daughters, and I actually have a grandson now. And right. um, for for my daughters to see their father, who was, you know, this larger than life kind of a guy that, you know, I was, I was a mixed martial arts fighter for six years. I, um, I was a professional fighter for six years, and I was on TV, and I fought a local bunch of local cir- circuits. I never made it, you know, like UFC or anything like that. But um, I fought XFE and um, some Virginia tournaments, and uh, you know they were used to seeing me on local television and and going to the store and people were like, hey man, I saw you on TV, you know, kind of like a local kind of a celebrity kind of thing. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> for them to see me. From that to not showering, not changing, not shaving, not wanting to go to work, not wanting to clean the house, not wanting to do anything. I can't imagine a child seeing their parent like that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I'm so blessed to had the help that Brandon was so ready and eager to extend his hand out to help me. You know, it, it's... The, the mental issue of, of, you know, the bipolar, the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks, I always didn't want to deal with it. You know, they, they told me I had bipolar when I was 15 or 16 years old. I was in high school and uh, I chalked it up to my senior year. Six of my friends committed suicide Shit. and it made the local paper around here. And I was like, oh, I'm just dealing with all this. You know, my, my, my friends are killing themselves. And uh, I'll just drink and I'll smoke pot or I'll take some acid and, and just not deal with any of this stuff. Yeah. And I sure as hell wasn't taking my medicine because I, I'll be honest with you, I kind of like the ups and the downs. I mean, I like going 100 miles an hour and I, I, I didn't like the crashes too much. But man, when I was up, I was up and I was doing some crazy shit. Now that I've been on my medicines and I've been sober the balance I have between my emotions is something I never could imagine. You know, I'm, I'm able to deal with things that come my way in a calm manner. I'm able to collectively look at the situation and come up with a solution rather than a problem. Yeah. Rather than, oh, I can't do it because it's how am I going to do this? What am I going to do now to take care of this? And uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. You know, it's like that snowball that st- stops at, or starts at the top of the mountain. And by the time it gets down, it's as big as the house. Yeah. When all you had to do was pick up that snowball and crush it in your hand. I allowed everything to get so big. It was just taking over everything and crushing everything around me. More with Tim Lodgen coming up. We'll talk more about uh, what he's doing in recovery now, rebuilding his uh, bond within his family, especially with his oldest daughter, as well as uh, what he's doing to not only maintain his mental health, but his physical health in challenging himself to follow in his mother's footsteps of bodybuilding. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. 
That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Hosts Mike and Nat brought together by their common struggle of addiction. They get to know each other's addiction story on air and realize they have more in common than they thought. They discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and with honesty, humility, and a lot of humor, talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com, a proud sponsor of the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Talking on the bipolar, and, and I can definitely, I loved that high. I yeah. was huge on that high for whatever, you know, whatever thing it was. And I definitely found every little thing like, uh, this relationship doesn't have any more. I'll go find a new girl or, you know, uh, I'll switch from tequila to whiskey or whatever, <laughs> whatever stupid thing we do. But uh, that does make a difference, though. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, switch from, I switch from IPAs to drinking straight up whiskey. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just get shit housed quicker. You know, well, that's exactly what it was. And I always wow. love the people like, dude, can't you just have one? Why the fuck would you do that when you can What's have 20? <laughs> yeah, let's. Why are you half-assing it? Let's go. Boy, if I'm gonna drink, I'm drinking. Uh, uh, but you talk a lot about your daughters and with your wife. Um, I'm curious, was there with the treatment you got after care that involved the family with therapy and really working through the process with you? You know, I, um, my daughter, um, my oldest daughter is 25, three, 23, 14, and 10. Okay. Um, my oldest daughter um, actually has bipolar as well. Mm. She's a spitting image of me, but a female. Mm. Um, she saw the blunt of everything, you know, my ups, my downs, my drinking, my um, anger outrages. Thank God I was never physical to anybody in my family, but I sure as shit said some stuff that you would not want to say to a stranger, much less the people that you love. Yeah. So I definitely hurt them verbally. Um, she had gone to counseling for years and uh, a majority of her issues was because of her drunk father. Mm. Um, my wife has not gone to counseling. She, she's one of these people that hasn't been to the doctor in 15 years for anything. And <sighs> she'd have to be dying or, you know, an eyeball falling out for her to go to a doctor. Oh, and uh, I've asked her, I say, hey, go to Al-Anon, you know, go talk to a, a, a psychiatrist. We can do family therapy. And uh, she's like, I don't like talking to strangers. I don't like telling people I don't know, you know, my darkest, deepest secrets. She said, That's, I'll, I'll leave that to you. You can you can do that. And I enjoy speaking. It helps me just as much as it helps anybody else because it gets the shit off my chest as well. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we, we have talked. We've had long conversations. You know, when I first came back, I had a book. I had a journal that I wrote in rehab and I was reading it a million miles an hour. Like it was almost like a bipolar house. I like, listen to this and listen to this and listen to this. She's like, Oh, whoa, whoa. She's like, 
you don't have to tell me your whole month in rehab in 10 minutes. You just walked in the door. <laughs> Say, we can take our time and go over this and we can discuss things that you've done, things that I've done to her, to you. I mean, cause it went both ways sure. um, on a professional level. No, she has not gone and seen anybody. My daughter has my middle daughter and youngest daughter, man, it kind of like just went, went in one ear and out the other. They've been fine the whole time since I've been here. I, th- I, 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 Contribute after their adolescence, maybe because they're children. There's a little bit easier for them to roll off. But my daughter's in, my oldest daughter's an adult, you know what I mean? Now she's a mother. So it hits her a lot harder than my other two children. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, I have a 13 and, and 12 year old, and my daughter will communicate a little bit more. My son's on the autism spectrum, but her and I've talked about it, and she has some some recollections, but the things that she does recall that, that, you know, those personal things. So I've just made sure that it's available, you know? So I was curious about that. Like, if you want to talk to someone other than me, but I'm always here to listen. And so she's, we've gotten closer because of it, you know, with, uh, yeah, with sure. that. And so it's definitely driven that bond. So thank you for sharing. I was, I was really curious and figured that'd be really helpful for people to understand that, you know, when the addict comes back, you know, the dynamic changes within the family. Cause you know, they're, they're accustomed to Tim one way and here he is, is totally different person. So I was curious what, you know, what that transition back into the home really entailed. Yeah. And you know, as, as uh, somebody with bipolar and addiction, when I came back, I wanted everything fixed like that. Mm. I was like, screw time. Like I, I just went to rehab for 32 days. Look at me. I, everything's good to get. Well, I forgot about the 27 years of drinking and all the turmoil and, and things I put my family through. And I'm, I got nine months on Sunday coming up. Last week is the first time my daughter texted me since I've been home from rehab. Wow. She lives in my house with my grandson upstairs. It's not like I don't see her. It's the first time she texts me. And I, I text her. I say, hey, I'm going to be on a podcast about recovery and, and um, mental illness. And she said, that's great, dad. I'm really proud of you. And dude, that, that for me, that communication was incredible. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, I get another text from her. She said, dad, I just want you to know how proud I am of you and that I love you. And then I appreciate you giving me the space to heal because I know you're healing as well. And over time, I would love to work on our relationship again. That right there, it, it, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, no. That is something that, I wanted immediately, but now that I've learned patience and humility and, and acceptance, you know, nothing happens overnight. And, and she had to see me put in the work. She had to see me going, going, going to meetings. She had to see me reading the AA book. She had to see my actions put into work, not words coming out of my mouth. Yeah. And, it, and it's finally, I can see things finally coming together. It's amazing. Boy, yeah. Uh... I didn't think I was going to almost cry today, Tim, but uh, you got that out of me. Shit, man. <laughs> Thanks. So, Tim, when you you said you were uh, you grew up kind of skateboarding and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You skateboard for a good amount of time. Was your when you started partying, you said your senior year of high school was skateboarding at all influence or was it just young, dumb and partying? Just house parties. As soon as I started partying, I stopped everything. Oh, gotcha. Oh. Okay. I'm a little bit younger than you. You got a couple more years on me, but my era of skateboarding was like Baker 2G and drunk Andrew Reynolds and drunk Jim Greco and all that. So I was wondering like if that played any role 
Damn, you mean you I grew up on the original Bones Brigade. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and Frankie Hill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So they were, they were my, they're all my age and a little bit older. So that's who I grew up with. And like I said, I mean, Bucky literally lived like 10 minutes from my house. Nice. Brandon lived three streets away from me. So I got, I got to grow up with these guys and skateboard with them. Um, I, I mean, I, I boxed in middle school and high school. I was a golden glove boxer. Mm-hmm. I was, I skateboarded for six years. I was on a couple of local teams. As soon as I started drinking and smoking pot, I stopped every single extracurricular mm-hmm. activity. I was focused on hanging out with my friends and partying. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's actually one of the reasons that drove me to join the Marine Corps because my senior year, a lot of my friends were starting to get um, addicted to heroin and pills and some more heavier stuff. And I was just, I just wanted to smoke pot, drink beer and and take some LSD and like, just kind of be like a hippie kind of a guy. And, and I wasn't, I was like, man, you, you, you sniff Coke or you, you do heroin. I was like, man, I don't even know where to get that shit, man. Like, and I saw my friends going down that road right. and my grades weren't really good enough to get into college but I knew I didn't want to go down the road that those guys were going into. And, you know, all the gentlemen in my family, my father and my grand, my grandfathers, my brother, my uncles, they all went in the military. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I I don't want to be them. I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. I did that. And the first nine months I was in the Marines, I didn't train because we did a bunch of training and went to schools. But as soon as I got down and I was in the fleet, I was there Monday through Friday. And as soon as Friday was done and we had leave, well, I mean, there was nothing else to do but go to titty bars, get tattoos, and go drinking. Right. So that's what we did, man, and we did it to excess. Yeah, I had a cousin. tattoos, titties, and tequila. <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> the three T's of military <laughs> life. Huh? And uh, it's funny, outside of every Marine Corps base, you look—it's—it's it's a motel, a titty bar, a tattoo parlor, and then a fucking church. Like, <laughs> they know what that? they're doing, man. They know what they're doing. <laughs> Those businesses are like the, the Marine. Oh yeah. We got to get some. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Reminds me of San Francisco. It's the same way. Is it really? Oh yeah. You get the, the tattoo shop, the titty club, the, the church and the, then like the chicken or Chinese food place. It's that's like, like, you gotta have a place to eat. That's yeah. like Hollywood without the churches, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tattoo shop, smoke shop yeah. bar. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like, here it is guys. Oh shit. So it makes me want to you talk about, you know, having a family lineage of, of um, military service, which thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, absolutely. It makes me wonder then what was what was childhood like? Was it a stringent home, mom and dad both present, or was there kind of a history of alcoholism too? Neither one of my parents drank or did drugs. Uh, my father was a police officer for 36 years. Um, he would drink as a normal person on the weekends or at family events or functions. Um, he actually, um, him and my mom divorced when I was about six or seven years old. I was in first or second grade. Um, so he had kind of dipped out on us. Um, so my mother basically raised me and my older brother. Uh, my brother is 10 years older than me. So he was already in high school when I was still in elementary school. Right. Um, but he had left. And my mother, um, actually, my mother, the, the year that he left, she became a professional bodybuilder. Oh, wow. and, um, she was a bodybuilder for 10 years. And so I grew up with all these big, huge guys coming around my house and my mom posing and, and, and working out and eating correctly and working two jobs. So she basically, I, I watched her become my father and my mother. All right. Um, 
you know, she went from making $10,000 a year working side jobs to becoming a vice president of a company, um, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and being very successful all while putting herself through college yeah. while taking care of me and my brother. That's freaking um, awesome. So, you know, I, I, I contributed a lot of my bipolar mental issues to not growing up with a father. Um, there was a lot of times, you know, and I told my mother this and she kind of disagreed with me. I was like, well, it's, it's my life. I mean, this is how I'm perceiving it. But there was a lot of times my dad would call him like, I'm coming to get you. We're going to hang out for a weekend. And I would sit at the front door with my bags packed and he wouldn't show up. So for me, I, I, I was like, what's wrong with me? You know, did, did I cause them to get a divorce? You know, am I the problem? You stuck around till, till my brother was 16, 17, and I was only six or seven. Is, am I the reason that I, did I break up our family? Mm-hmm. You know, but as I grew older and even, even up until my late thirties, I blamed my father for a lot of my issues. I really, truly did. That's because I didn't want to look at myself. You know, I, I didn't want to accept the fact that it doesn't matter where you come from, what your parents are. You're the one that makes the choice and you're the ones that make your decision on how you live your life. So it's only up until a couple of years ago, I've, I just finally accepted, you know, my dad's who he is, you know, I get my ego and my self-centeredness and my um, love for women from him, which I found out, which is actually the reason why he left. He liked women too much <laughs> and um, it had nothing to do with me at all. Right. You know, I thought it, all, it was all me, which is that look at me kind of thing. It was all because of me. It had nothing to do with me at all. He loved me. He just wanted to go a different path in life. Uh, that, that, that's funny. You and I share a similar defect there for sure. <laughs> uh, and the drinking did not help. It took the gentleman right the fuck out of me real quick. Oh, dude. I, as soon as I started drinking, that's when I'd start thinking about my childhood and why my dad left and, and why things weren't messed up and why I wasn't doing in school. And it was all me. You know, I just compounded everything times 10. Well, it's important to remove that blame. I'm glad that you shared that. So what, was there any kind of like work that you really put into that? I've had a couple of friends reach out and they're like, you know, my childhood, my childhood. And I tell them, you don't get to blame your childhood for your adult life. You know, well, my emotions. Okay. Let your emotions control you. That's a wonderful thing to do that. We stop as toddlers, you know, that we try to parent that out, you know? So how was it for you? Like really confronting that and removing the blame and taking a look at Tim in the mirror. I finally did that in rehab. So at 44 years old, I just turned 45 in June. So in rehab in March, I finally what? June 6th. Ah, June 23rd. Okay. <laughs> Keep Still going. Gemini. <laughs> uh, Gemini cancer. I'm on the cusp. Okay. Okay. So like a- my, mom, my mom's 28th. Oh, my mom's the 19th. She's a Gemini. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She's a, she's a wonderfully sweet lady, but definitely don't mess with her. Yeah. She's Mexican too. So she's <laughs> hella mean. So if I were to step out, she would throw the shoe at me. <laughs> My mom's Italian, so oh, okay. I, I, get, I get that. Same, my, same my, boat, same story. Different chapter. German, so my dad's got the German anger. You know, he didn't oh, come Lord. here to the United States until he was eighteen, so he's like literally German. Oh, oh wow! wow. Yeah, <laughs> Mine's yeah. Polish. So my whole father's side of the family is all from Germany. When they come over, when they used to come over, they would all speak German. I didn't know what the hell they were saying. <laughs> you know I mean? But it was it was pretty cool that knowing I had family in Germany and, and family in Italy. Yeah, so, yeah. That is cool. So I've never visited either one of those places. I would love to. 
Um, see when my father grew up and my grandparents, and my aunts and my uncles and vice versa in Italy, maybe one day I'll be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Italy is amazing. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, we, we were, I, we, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> we were talking, removing, uh, uh the, the yes. blaming others. So, um, in, in rehab, you know, we had a bunch of different classes that we had to do. And, and one of them was self-reflection and, and our emotions and, when they broke it down into like blaming others and not taking responsibility for your past, um, I finally started to realize that, you know, I'm the one in control of my emotions. I'm the one in control of, will I allow that situation to, de to determine my future? Um, I always, like I said, I always look back at my childhood and, and blamed it on that. It wasn't until I was around a group, a, a bunch of group minded people that were all going through similar situations, whether our addictions were different or our mental illnesses were different. We all had a common bond that we didn't deal with our situation properly. We didn't look at what was making us drink or drug. And I, I blamed it on bipolar for a while, too, but. You know what? That's the card I was given. I got bipolar. I have a, a, a disconnection in, in my, my chemical imbalance. Okay. It is what it is, but I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to take the medicine. I learned there that, you know, alcohol and addiction is a byproduct of our mental illness. And I was never taking care of my mental illness properly. I would take medicines for a year or two, but I'd be drinking or drugging on top of it. And that just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, my perspective of my life completely changed when I was in the rehab. You know, the first couple of days I was there, I kind of, I, I wanted to be there. Don't get me wrong, but I was homesick and you know, I, it was kind of hard getting used to the rules. But after the first four or five days and we started compounding, I mean, we did seven classes a day. And then at seven o'clock at night, we'd have an outside speaker coming in. And when those outside speakers came in and told me their story, about their lifelong addictions of how, you know, some of them, their, their parents beat them. There's some, their parents, you know, locked them in closets. You know, their parents did drugs in front of them. I started to realize my childhood was not that bad. Mm -hmm. you know, my father left and that's pretty much about it. My mother raised me the best that she could and she did a hell of a job. So what was I holding on to all these years that was allowing me not to be the person that I should have been. And it was all up in here. Yeah. It was, it was myself telling myself, these are the reasons why you're not successful. These are the reasons why you're sad. These are the reasons why you're not happy or, you know, you're, you're not living your life to the fullest. I allowed myself to believe the thoughts I was telling myself. When they told us that we, we all live in this cage and we are the, actually the ones holding the keys. I, and the first time they said it, I was like, hey, that fucking doesn't make any sense. We've lived in this secluded cage your whole life. It's time to let go of the things that have brought you into this rehab center. You cannot move forward while looking in the past. You know, they told that's why the windshield's so big and the rear view mirror is so small. You can't drive forward while looking behind you. And I finally started to let go of so many things that I believe brought me down. That was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. 
You know, I, I let go of the fact that my father left me. I let, I realized it wasn't my fault. I was started to be thankful for my wife not leaving me when she sure should, should have many, many times. I started to be grateful for having my children. You know, I was always, man, why don't I have a, why don't I have a Porsche 911 Turbo Carrera? Why don't I have a million dollar house? That doesn't matter. I have a beautiful family. I have three beautiful children. I have a beautiful wife and I have a home. I have a job. I have a vehicle. I have my health back. Those are the only things that matter to me now. You know, I, I was all the monetary things that I thought mattered and made me a man has nothing to do with my, my mental wellness. I'm so blessed to have what I have and grateful for what I have now. I don't have that weight of that stuff on me anymore. It allows me to focus more on my sobriety, my family, my health. I read the AA book. I've read it seven times in nine months. The first couple of times I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds familiar. But the more times I read it, the more times I pick up something, something would stick out to me. I relate more to it. And I'd be like, holy shit, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a straight up alcoholic. I get this. I, I have been psychotic before i've had manic episodes while drinking where i threw shit around the house where i told my wife I, I, i'll fucking kill you mm. i don't have that rage anymore i don't have that anger that despair you know they, they talk about getting that psychic change and i believe i've had it you know i i used to like that highs and lows of bipolar i don't want to touch that anymore mm. i like being calm and mellow and, and just go with the flow kind of a thing. My wife will tell you now, I can't get you to argue. <laughs> like I could be yelling at you in your face, pointing my finger at your face. And you're just like, okay, yep. Okay. How can we solve this? Yeah. Because that's all I want to do is I just want to make, I just want to solve things and move on. I don't want to make things worth and, and compound our issues or our problems anymore. Where before I would get off on that, she started yelling, I'd yell at her. You know, I point, she pointed my face, I point back, you know, I, I raise up and get into her face and I, I kind of got off on that. And that's just, I'm done. Yeah. There's left. Yeah. That fucking toxicity, man. It's uh, it's, it's a real thing. And people, you know, they discount, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships and how real it is, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but I know what you mean. Like for me, I've, I've noticed, uh, you know, as more time goes on, the things that seem so damn appealing, especially like that, uh, you know, I come from a long line of, of men as well that really liked women. And I was one of them, you know, my head doesn't whip around like the way it used to go. All right. <laughs> she's pretty. So what, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't fucking care anymore. She's probably a nutcase. Anyhow. Oh, well, keep moving. Wearing, And then your wife looks too. And like, I can't believe she's wearing that. You know, but you're checking her out the whole time. <laughs> that all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Who would wear a thong to a public pool? Right. Could you? Could you even absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I mean, look at right? her. Just, just stare at her. You know, what? Really I'm going to get a picture of it just so I don't forget about this moment. <laughs> <laughs> My head whips around pretty quick still. I'm single with no kids. It's okay. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's absolutely okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the way it goes? The, uh, uh, just cause that's not what I'm dining on. Doesn't mean I won't look at the menu. 
Absolutely. You, you just can't order. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, shoot. So you brought up your friendship with, with Novak, and he talked a lot about his dad. So did you kind of have a lot of intermingling with, with all that, too, and a lot of the friends and, you know, even Bam coming to visit and everything well, else? I never got to meet Bam. Um, that was kind of like um, – so when I when I met Novak, uh, we were both skateboarding. I spent the night at his house a few times. I did have the pleasure of meeting his father. Um, oh, well, at the drunk father. Um, right. He really wouldn't say much to anybody coming in the house. And if he did, it wasn't very nice. And, and we would just go into his room and hang out in his room. Or we'd just leave and just go skateboarding. Um, and then when we came home, we would just go back into his room and sleep and wake up the next day and go back skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we did. Um, so there was plenty of times where Brandon would get completely shit faced to unconscious point and we would have to load him up in my, my car and take him to his house and put him on the porch and ring the doorbell and leave because we at least knew he was home. And if somebody rang the doorbell, they would get him. But we didn't want to be a part of any of that at that point because he had gotten he had went from you know smoking pot and drinking just to, to, to the heroin in yeah. high school. Yeah. Right. And I wasn't a part like I, that just for me that he told he was taking it too far for me at that point. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, man, how can you party like that? I, I'd rather just smoke a bullet and, and, and drink some beer and, and mess around with some girls. And he was getting to a point where he was passing out and, you know, not knowing what the hell is going on, waking up the next day and not remembering a goddamn thing. At that point in my addiction, that was way too much for me. Sure. Yeah. You know, but um. You know, I mean, we both lived basically, I mean, even though his father was there, he wasn't there. So we had that kind of common connection. My father wasn't there. We both loved skateboarding. Um, He obviously loved it a little bit more than me because that's, I mean, he lived, ate and breathed skateboarding. And when he called me to go skateboarding, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to go skate with Brandon. Oh, by the way, we're going to meet Bucky down at um, Fuddruckers down in Inner Harbor, and we're going to go skate down the city. Hell yeah, I'm going. Like, thanks for calling me, right? Yeah. So I thought I was pretty cool hanging out with those guys. But, you know, as far as his home life, I, I got Miss Pat. I remember her. You know, she would fix us dinner and stuff like that. She was always very, extremely nice to us. And uh, I just got to see her uh, two weeks ago when I went to uh, the Novak house one-year celebration. Um, and, and it just happened to be my eight-month celebration of being sober and i was like hi miss pat how you doing and she looks at me and she's like who are you and i was like i'm timmy and i took off my hat and i was like i haven't seen you in 30 years and she's like oh timmy from down the street i remember you i was like oh cool okay she's like i'm so glad you're sober honey she goes i'm so glad to see you she's like i'm really proud of you so that was really cool um but it's kind of funny because she's my mom's age my mom's 72 so i think she's around the same age and my mom doesn't remember half of my friends now. <laughs> I'm sure. Probably wanted to forget some of the shit you guys pulled. Yeah, dude, because I, I was I was one of the popular kids in school, you would say. And um, my house, I had the in-ground pool. And, you know, my mom had parties all the time, like get-togethers, not parties. My mom didn't party, but she'd have get-togethers. And I was the house that we would cut school and go to my house and go swimming during the day. And I'd have all the girls over and we would drink beer out of the refrigerator downstairs that my stepdad had. And, you know, I was the cool house to go hang out with. Um, So that was, that was kind of like my introduction to having girls come over and being the popular kid that everybody wanted to hang out with. And, you know, 
after high school and I kind of lost that popularity, that, that internally hurt me. Yeah. You know, cause joining the Marines, nobody's popular. They're all the same. Yeah. I mean, you might have one or two few that stick out above the rest. And I fortunately was one of those guys that stuck, that stuck out, but in, in a mass of thousands and thousands, you barely stick out. You're, you're pretty much all the same. And I lost that kind of, my ego kind of left. Yeah. I was, I wasn't that look at me guy anymore. It was like, well, why do I got to look at you? You got 10 more of you guys over there. You know, so that hurt my ego big time. And I dealt with depression in the Marines as well. Um, I kind of drank that away and hung out with a group of guys that made me kind of forget about that, you know, because a lot of us, believe it or not, in the military come from broken homes or addict fueled homes. So we all had that common bond, that brotherhood. And I still I still talked to about 10 of those guys that I, I served with and we all talk to each other and and if we're if we're down and out uh, we'll call each other and and, you know one of the coolest things about this whole recovery process right now is i I did a podcast last week yesterday i get a phone call from a guy i served with 25 years ago i haven't spoken him since 1995 and he calls me and he's like is this tim i was like yeah tim what's up he's like hey man he said this is tony i was like from the Marines? He's like, yeah, man. I was like, what's up? He's like, I'm not doing good. I was like, what's going on? He's like, man, I'm eating about 20, uh, 20 Percocets a day, 10s. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, I've been doing it for about 15 years. He's like, but um, I'm five days sober. I said, what, what the hell? How are you five days sober? He said, I listened to your podcast. Wow. And I said, what? He said, man, he said, uh, you have no idea what that did for me. He's like, I've been contemplating getting sober for a, over a decade. He said, but what you said really hit me. He said, that word hope that you said you found and that hopelessness that you lived in and not to give up, but to get up, he said, really hit me. He's like, and I woke up that next day. He said, and I, I told myself I wasn't going to take Percocets today. He said, and I made it throughout that whole day. He said, and I've done that for the last four days. He goes, and today's day five. He goes, and I haven't picked up today. And he goes, and I just need you to know that it was because of you and your podcast and what you said that really hit home. He goes, and I'm, I, I'm done. I don't want to live this life anymore. He said, I've hurt my family, my friends, my wife, my kids. He said, and I just, I, I want to move forward now with my life. He goes, I'm in my 40s. He said, I should be dead now from all the drugs I've done over the years. He said, and, and I just want to thank you for sharing your story. He said, because it just really hit home for me and I'm ready to change. I'm doing this so other people know that that deep, dark, hopeless feeling that you get, you don't have to let it hold you there. You don't have to let it keep you on your knees. There is a way out. You can get help. If you want the help, you know, a lot of people go to rehab and they don't want the help. They're there for court reasons or their family members made them do it. And unfortunately, those people usually come back in a couple times, a couple times until they get it. Mm-hmm. But until you want it, there's nothing I can say or do or no amount of money I can put out and get you in these rehabs. 
nothing's going to stick until deep down inside you actually want that help and you're ready for that change in your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a testament of it. And so many other people, that is for damn sure. That's incredible about your Marine buddy though. Jeez. Yeah. Dude, I, I was floored. I had yeah. all tears in my eyes when he called me. Oh, I'm sure. Dude, yeah. Dude, I mean, if I could help one person, which I think I just did again, you can't put a price on that. That is an amazing feeling. And I'm just getting a tiny, tiny taste of what Brandon must feels like on a daily basis. Yeah. He's helped so many people that that re, re, reciprocation of being able to go back and help those that you love, people that you've grown up with, family, you know, childhood friends. It's, it's a feeling of, of purpose now. I feel like I have a purpose again. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel my life was worth anything. <clears throat> and, and now I think I have found my purpose in life. And is that is to spread the message of hope and recovery to those that need to hear it. Hell yeah, man. That's incredible. Oh, that's badass. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it's, it's, my life has changed. It's, it's every, every aspect of my life has changed. I can mirror that. I know what you're talking about. It's like yeah, when, yeah. The, and the funny thing I was doing some uh, writing, Tim, I don't know if you still do. And, and, and normally I'll write like a page or two as this guy knows I talk way too fucking much. What are you going to do? Way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, it was one of the quickest like entries I started to write. And then I stopped and at the bottom of the page was my life has changed so drastically, you know? And I put, I believe my recollection is I put either put praise God or thank you, God. I can't remember what it was. And it was like right. all the shit that we've been through now to sit, like you said, and just feel a sense of, of purpose, you know? And that's like, Okay. And it's not, it, and when you feel that, like probably when this gentleman called you, it's not the ego that's filled anymore though. No, no, it's much deeper. Yeah. Ego is a, a, a facet. It, it's, it's just in your head. This, this hit me in my heart, man. Yeah. Like this, this, I felt that, that warm feeling again, come over my body of hope. You know, it was like, wow, I actually, my words actually may have helped somebody or saved their life from addiction. How amazing. Yeah. Not just your words, but all the shit that you went through to get to where you're at now. So all that stuff that it, that, you know, that was for me to reflect when we've had people say very gracious things to Mikey and myself was like, all of it was worth it. Right. That's how I reconcile that all of it was worth it. All the shitty behavior, all the stuff that I have to own. I can't blame, oh, this person that, or she was this way or whatever, but no, my actions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in rehab, you know, I was down on myself for a while. You know, why did I steal from my mother? Why did I lie to my wife? You know, why did I miss work and, and or mess up? I'm a carpenter. So I'm like, why did I not do that job properly? And I just didn't care. Mm. You know, I just really didn't care about anybody but myself. I would go to work and couldn't wait till 3 p.m. because I literally left work and went right to the liquor store. And I was waiting for that, that euphoria of, of the liquor to come over me. And then now I was like, okay, well, now I can just go home and chill for the rest of the night. You know, all my responsibilities were out the window after that first drink. It was like, I don't have to worry about reality anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. Why would we? (laughs) The life that I have now, you couldn't have told me nine months ago that I would have. And it's only been nine months. I can't imagine what's to come for me. You know, I, I thought I was just destined to be a drunk carpenter and, and possibly single and, and have my kids on the weekends and, and just barely getting by. And now I actually think that good things are coming my way, you know, and, and it's not because I deserve them, you know, it's because I, I, I'm putting in the work and when you put out good, actually good comes back. And I didn't believe that before. I never believed in karma or, or, you know, what you put out into the world, you get back. But man, I was putting out some shit stuff for a very long time and I was eating shit for a very long time. And I thought, Oh, poor me, poor me. I just got bad luck. No, no, it's what I was putting out. It's what I'm getting back. It's, it's, it's um, the recovery process is a lot different than being just sober. You know, I know a lot of people that are sober and are fucking miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't drink. They don't drug, but they complain about their job. They complain about their, their spouse. They complain about their children, their neighbor. They complain about everything. I have learned to accept a lot more in my life and to let things go that really should not be held on to. It's a tough, hard thing to do, but it's imperative. It is. It is imperative. You know, it, holding on to things are only going to drag you down. It's, they're only going to put you back into that place where you just came from. And what a shame that would be to not bring in the gift of recovery and acceptance and patience and humility that has been given to me. You know, they say the, the, one of the worst things about getting sober is you have to deal with your feelings. But the best thing is you got to deal with your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a double-edged sword, but I would rather feel now than feel numb because yeah. I didn't feel anything. Yeah, and I, I went through a phase there where it was, um, and maybe for you early on, I didn't understand really what was reality either within my feelings, you know, because the feelings are a mechanism of processing stuff and giving us relevance. And it was kind of like, uh, oh, I, I miss this person. Wait, am I missing this person because I'm on an emotional low right now because I'm not drunk or, you know, it's like, I, I didn't know, you know, my, my elbow from my ass, you know, it was just a, a, a confusion, a constant state of confusion at first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it's like, it's like you, you're constantly trying to have to feed that beast mm-hmm. with, with uh, adrenaline or, or, um, egotistical things like, oh, does that girl think I'm pretty? Or, you know, am I doing enough over here? Now I just, I know what I have to do and I get it done. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about people's opinions anymore. Man, I used to think, I used to care about everybody's opinions. Now I, I don't give a shit. I just worry about Tim. That is such an important lesson. And I was a big people pleaser. And it's still kind of one of my defects that I have to check. Okay, am I doing this to be people pleasing or am I doing this because this is a boundary and you're not crossing my freaking boundary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I would always post things on Facebook or, you know, Instagram or whatever and um, wait for responses or wait for likes and, and, oh man, they like me. We're all cool. I got comments over here and comments over there. And again, it goes back to the monetary thing. None of that matters. 
you know, it really it truly doesn't. You're just feeding that, that, that part of you that want, it wants acceptance mm-hmm. in, in any way that you can get it. The only acceptance I want now is my family loving me, you know, and accept me for who I am, accept me for that. I am an alcoholic. I am in recovery and I'm trying to make things better. And I am going to take it one day at a time. I'm not going to look into the future and I'll do what I have to do today to stay sober and to be the man, the husband, the son, the father that I know I could be. Well, I got to say, it's really great to talk with you. Such a switched on person. That's got a really great perspective about it all. And, and, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. You know, that, that word perspective is huge. My perspective on everything has changed. Yeah. Everything. You know, I was an extremely aggressive driver before. Everything pissed me off. Everything. Why'd you change like that? Where's your blinker? I guess that model doesn't come with a blinker. Why are you yeah. on my ass? And 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 somebody in rehab told me it might have been one of the counselors. They were like, uh, I need to listen to this. Driver who gets mad? I'm like, me, you know, a bunch of people. She's like, Did you ever think the guy that cut you off in front of you maybe got a call that his mom died? Oh gosh. Yeah. Or that his son or daughter was in a car accident. I was like, no. She's like, or maybe he is just an asshole. <laughs> but have you ever thought of the possibility that maybe he's got some bad news and he's flustered and he can't concentrate on the road? I was like, no. She said, you never know who, who's in that vehicle. So just stay in your lane. Keep you to you. And just get home. Yeah. Because... That guy has nothing to do with you. Yeah, he may have pissed you off, may have cut you off, but we don't know what's going on in that man's life or that woman's life. Yeah, we 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 forget that a lot, and we don't we we a we need to get outside of ourselves, but yet not sit in ourselves too much at the same time, and you know, go like uh, you know, you go to the grocery store, maybe the checker is a little bit quiet. It might seem rude to you, but same kind of thing could have been a really bad day we don't know and so i think giving that grace and just like you you said with your life what you've put out there now is coming back tenfold and we can do that in every situation with people i gotta start telling myself that too because i'm a very aggressive driver (laughs) especially when we're in la man like i'm i couldn't imagine la baltimore maryland's pretty damn bad (laughs) I might have a couple more months before I'd be able to tell myself that in LA. Yeah, yeah. dude. Like, I'm, this guy knows I'm yelling the entire time. I'm just <laughs> like, I'll make it a point to get on their ass. I'm not changing lanes. You're changing lanes. You're the one going slow, not me. <laughs> you know I mean? so maybe I could factor in some. Move it, you dick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, shit. Well, hey, Tim, uh, you've uh, heard a couple episodes, so you know we like to jump to uh, some fun random questions and just get sure. a little lighthearted at the end. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go first on this one. I was going to say, I don't even want to do these questions because the story was so like <laughs> heartwarming, you know, like just how it ended. You know, you're obviously not ended, but how it is right now, how it, right. great you're doing and, you know, your oldest except like being proud of you we're proud of you all that stuff you're doing fantastic and it's like i don't even want to fuck around with questions, (laughs) but we will because it's tradition so here we go well he's a fun guy we got to show all all aspects of personality right let's do it let's do it uh you mentioned okay you competed in uh mma 
But uh, what is Tim's top sport then? Like, if you were to get some actual TV time for yourself, what is it you're going to watch if uh, schedules aren't an option? Unfortunately, uh, um, it's going to be boxing or MMA or, or karate or jujitsu or something like that. I'm still very um, into all that stuff. Um, I haven't trained any of those in, in a while. Uh, my last fight, I tore my, my rotator cuff and I had to have surgery. Mm, sure. um, and, and then I hurt my neck. I had to have two neck surgeries. I had to have two rhizotomies in my neck. So at 35, that's when my wife was like, you're done. She's like, you're not fighting. <laughs> She's yeah, like, you're not 20 years old, you're 35. But believe it or not, um, since I have been sober and since March, um, I'm actually competing in April in my first bodybuilding show. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah I want to follow my mother's footsteps. Um, my uncle in the 70s was Mr. Universe. Oh, wow. no shit. And uh, for three years in a row. So in, in the 70s, there was no Mr. Olympia. Mr. Universe was the man. Right. In the early 80s is when they switched over to Mr. Olympia. They still have Mr. Universe, Mr. USA, and but Mr. Universe was the shit. And my uncle was from 76, I think, to 79 was Mr. Universe. Um, his son, my cousin, was Mr. Maryland here in Maryland a couple of years in a row. My mother won Miss Maryland and a whole bunch of stuff in the 80s. I've always wanted to do it. And the last nine months, I have been in the gym five days a week. My diet's completely strict. No, no sweets. I, the only thing I drink is freaking water. And I do have a diet spray with dinner, but there's no calories, no sugar, nothing like that. But I, I, I need to do this for myself. I, I'm at the point where I have to do these things I've always wanted to do. And the only thing holding me back was me and my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have that thing holding me back anymore. And I'm so determined to do this, that I can't even stand my own way. Like I'm, I'm going to do this. I don't care if I win, come in 10th place, 15th place, doesn't matter. The fact that I'm going to get on that stage sober, I've already won. I got to ask, who is your uncle? Um, his name was Joe Rizzi. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in the seventies, if you look him up, you'd be able to see, he was a big dude, man. I, I mean, yeah. I was probably three or four at that time because I was born in 76. So I, I just remember um, he had a Corvette and uh, he was the big muscle guy in the family. And he was a really damn good looking dude. And like all the women liked him and stuff like that. And I remember thinking that was really cool. Right. Like, man, he's got a Corvette. He had a Harley. He had big muscles. He had all these beautiful women around. I'm like, that's awesome. He's probably cre- c- uh, compete with like uh, Franco Colombo and all those guys in. Right? All those guys. Yeah, actually, um, uh, so- Samir Benut, who was uh, Olympian in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was, I think he was three years in a row or maybe 81, 82 or something like that. He used to stay at my house a lot. I'll be um, damn. When he came to Maryland, um, since my mom was in the competitive bodybuilding circuit, he would need places to stay. So he would stay at my house. I have pictures of him when I was a little child. And that man, that guy was only like five foot five. Right. He was like 250 pounds, like a brick shithouse. <laughs> yeah. That's love- crazy because Jason was actually going to enter a bodybuilding contest <laughs> as well. So Yeah, okay. Like go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm 6'3", about like 170 soaking wet. So He weighs as much uh, as my right leg. But <laughs> but ironically, I love that, that late 70s, early 80s era of bodybuilding. I don't know why. I, what I year always- was Lou Frigno? What was that? He was that Same. he was the late 70s, early 80s, Late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Um, being that you're a fighter, I got a fighting question. 
Um, would you rather fight one horse-sized chicken or ten chicken-sized horses? See, I, I want the horse-sized chicken. Dumbass question. <laughs> horse-sized, the horse-sized chicken, because I'll take out his fucking little legs. Oh gosh. Oh, those are always the gnarly answers. Mine would be I'll like be able to stand, ones. and then he's done. And I'll just pound him. You could tell who the savages are you by the answer of that. That is question. such a great fighter question yeah. or answer, though. You take out There's the man's leg. Legs break, man. I take his legs out, and then he won't be able to do a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking that chicken on his ass. This uh, horse is thick, man. <laughs> if uh, you were stranded on a deserted island, oddly, you could play a movie and a, and a music album. What one movie and what one music album would you take with you? God, music album's got to be Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin 4. Loves that. My favorite. Get the let out, baby. Movie, man, I, this is going to sound so, I, I'm not going to say the word, but so girly. Okay. Dude, I love The Notebook, dude. Do you? Hey, it's a feel-good movie. Dude, it, it, it's got a little bit of everything in it. I, You know, it's a roller it's coaster war, of emotions. It's got love. It's got comeback. You know, and at the end, you get to live your life with the woman that you love. And, and every once in a while, she comes back to you. Dude, that's awesome. Hey, you know what? No judgment at all. My dad was giving me shit the other day because I told him I loved the movie The Devil Wears Prada. I just, <laughs> I, I like that movie. Every Where time I see one, I watch it. And my wife's like, really? Again? I'm just like, cool movie. I don't care what anybody says. Meryl Streep is a fantastic actress. I freaking love her. I will tell you, if, if I had to pick a comedy man, the other guys with Mark Wahlberg and Will love Ferrell. Love every Will time Ferrell. that comes on, I laugh. She's like, you've seen this a hundred times. I see it, but it's funny every single time I see it. <laughs> All right. The guy can pee from six feet away. You got to see it, Alan. You got to. But he's so serious about it. <laughs> he's like, for real, who are you? <laughs> no, for real. Stop messing, stop messing around. Speaking of movies, if they were to make one about you, who would you cast to play yourself? I've been told back in the day, I used to look like Ben Affleck a lot. I see he's that. Good, ben Affleck, okay. He's a good actor. I see that. If we go younger, I would want somebody up and coming that nobody knows so he can make a mark, mark for himself. Now, I could see Ben would do it good as a guy that's also gone through addiction issues and everything else. Like he could step into that role really good. Yeah. Alcoholism. Yep. yep. It's finest. Plus, he has a he's one of those guys that it's like I, I always when people bulk up, like, how the fuck do you do that? Where he could immediately get into good shape, you know, and play that I, part. I know how he does it. <laughs> well, <laughs> good point. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? You know, as a as a teenage boy, I used to I used to want X-ray vision, like, <laughs> probably. I still kind of do. Right. <laughs> um, I would I would want to be able to heal. Like oh, yeah. always be able to heal because I don't, I don't want to feel pain anymore, man. Physical, mental, spiritually. I want to be able to heal from everything. Yeah. It's a beautiful answer. I used to give Jason shit because we would ask each other these questions and I'd be like, man, I want to teleport. Just bam, I'm in New York. Bam, I'm in Texas. You know, I don't got to go through flying and sitting in a seat, whatever. Like, I just want to teleport. Jason, what about you? I want to be able to heal people. I'm like, well, now I feel like a fucking asshole. <laughs> Is that what you said, really? <laughs> well, I want to heal. I'll be able to heal other people. Like, okay. like, just, you know, step in and somebody is like a great affliction or, you know, I immediately took the wind out of my yeah. sail. <laughs> well, we kind of took it out of mind because I'm thinking about myself. He's thinking about other people. <laughs> 
man, there's no wrong answers. There's no wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you dick. Gosh. Why it's all about you. <laughs> well, it's kind of, I'm one of those guys, like, I, you know, I, I loved my grandmas and I saw them both die in pain. And I was in the room with my, my maternal grandmother and had just left my, my dad's mom pass. So it was like, if I could have done something to have eased that, even knowing that eventually they would pass, it's like, so yeah. So healing. Okay. I'm the asshole now. No, I think you got me. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One more real quick. Um, skateboarding i've skateboarded for 16 years so i i love it and i love you know conversing with other skateboarders as well who was your favorite skateboarder growing up uh it was tony hawk tony hawk yeah yeah i mean i i had the pink helmet i had the black pads did you did your helmet have the ear come over the ears yeah do you still have that i wish i still had dude I would love to have one of those, the old school pro tech ones. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I wish. I still had my old decks, man. I used to have yeah. like 20 old decks and see how much they're freaking worth now. Even all used. Dude, it's ridiculous. My buddy's got a box of brand. No, not brand new, obviously, but the old thrashers, like the oh. Jay Adams article thrashers really? that don't look like they've ever been touched. And he doesn't oh, even shit. skate. If I wasn't such a nice guy, I'd go rob him because it's just <laughs> like, I wouldn't even sell them. I just want them in my possession because I appreciate it. <laughs> you know? Dude, that's history right there. It's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even think he realized. Oh, no, he probably does realize how big of a deal it is because I've told him multiple times. Uh, before I ask you for words of uh, inspiration, as if your whole conversation with you, I mean, we literally sat back. We're just uh, <laughs> I know for me, I was just like. Man, I'm in awe of you, Tim. This is it's the it, most it, quiet it. I've seen him in years. <laughs> That's humbling, brother. Yeah. yeah, if you wonder what superpower you got, it's the power to shut me the fuck up <laughs> and open my ears. <laughs> I need you to come to LA with us a couple times out of the month. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to LA, man. I'm on my way. Really? Oh, I've shit, never man. been. I've always wanted to come. Come to the West Coast, brother. If you had to kind of put it in a little shell, um, what kind of words of advice, maybe people that are seeking recovery or just starting their recovery or, you know, Hey, that, that share for the person that's been in it 20 years, but you know, giving them a little, little bit of your wisdom um, that you think you could offer. I think the biggest thing I would say to anybody still suffering or, or, or contemplating giving up is don't lose hope. There's always hope. As long as you have hope, you can overcome anything, you know? Um, I forgot that for a very long time. I thought it was impossible to have it again. I thought I, I would be, I was destined to die from this disease. When that overcoming feeling of hope came over me, I knew everything was gonna be okay for me from here on out. So don't give up, get up, don't lose hope. Everything can change and everything will be all right. Thanks, brother. We appreciate you. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's an honor. Tim Lodgen, thanks, man. You're badass. What a great fella. He really is. Uh, And and, and interestingly enough, we've become uh, texting buddies now, trading some different stuff. He's lending me some really good advice, and uh, I just really appreciate him and these kind of bonds and friendships that we've been able to build throughout this podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's always good to have somebody, an extra set of ears to talk to, especially when uh, facing certain adversities like addiction. Absolutely. Well, it's a lot of things that for me, too, that uh, 
ask him little tidbits about just what he does in daily life that, you know, albeit I've, I'm, I've got longer sobriety than he does, but with that said, it doesn't mean you can't get so much knowledge from other people, and he's really lending that, which is beyond appreciated, and just a really good person and, and genuinely cares about people in general and the sober community. So Yeah, and it kind of makes you think, uh, after all of what Novak did for him, Bringing a table to them isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. And uh, don't forget to give us a follow on social media at Knocking Doors Down on Instagram and Facebook at KDD Media Company on Twitter. And hey, do us a favor, share some of that content too. If you're getting something out of it, help us spread the word, help us grow as we uh, continue our mission to end the stigma around addiction and mental health issues. Uncle Mikey, uh, you got anything else? Nah, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and therefore are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org.